0: Hi, you handsome. Come to join the party.
1: Hey, party people. Welcome to the Petrama party, where the walk of shame takes on a brand new and deeply sad meaning. So grab your shirt from under that stranger's bed and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez, and this week we're keeping it light and upbeat with the topic of betrayal trauma. (sighs) Uh, Okay, you know, everything we cover on this pod sucks, right? (laughs) Like they're all super painful topics, but almost always I go into these topics feeling like, oh yeah, like I've had enough healing that this won't like fuck me up entirely. But with this one, I've had no such delusions. I was just like... I can't even say the word betrayal without feeling like someone just like deposited an explosive device in my chest, you know, just like this is for you. Okay. Bye. So in other words, it's really fucking painful. It's really hard. I'm so glad we're doing this so we can work through it and to help us light a path through this maze of doom. I'm so happy to welcome mental health therapist and licensed clinical social worker, Emma Bridges. Hi, Emma. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. And to get us started, and so the people can get to know you a little better, tell us about your astrology. Ooh, well, so
0: I definitely would like to learn more about what each of these mean. I really only know kind of the basics, but I am a Leo sun, a Aries moon, and a Scorpio
1: rising. Ooh. Okay. So I don't know if you know, but well, let me ask you, did you know that Scorpio is a water sign? No. Okay. So Scorpio is a water sign. Water signs are associated with emotional depth and complexity, but it is the one water sign that has a fiery aspect because it is ruled by Mars. And Mars is the ruler of Aries who is like a very fiery fire sign, right? So Scorpio is a very fiery water sign that simultaneously has the ability to go super deep, but it's interesting being paired with Leo, right? Like a Leo sun, because Leo loves going outward, right? It's ruled by the sun. It's, it's the, um, the impulse to be seen and Scorpio prefers to be inward, right? Like uh, the scorpion kind of hides in the sort of dark shadows, the corners, you know. Do you kind of, do you ever experience that like push and pull from those two? Like, I want to be in the eye. I want to I want to hide away. Do you feel that? Oh, 100%. Because when I'm not, so
0: I'm a therapist. So that Scorpio rising. Yeah, that resonates because of like, I love, I have like very little patience for, idle chit chat. I really want like deep emotional connection. Totally Scorpio all the way. But outside of that, like in my free time, I'm like an improv comic and I do crazy. Can I swear on this podcast? hundred percent. All right. Crazy shit like that. Oh, and acting and stuff like that in film. And so I'm extra.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I love this combination. And I will also just to to say the one time I took improv, I will, I would like died of terror. So you are very brave and that's very Leo, just like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's get in the spotlight. Like that is a very Leo thing. And that inability to just like pretend that you give a fuck about, you know, like the weather when you're talking to people, that's very Scorpio.
0: I will say I I am a performer and I have stage fright so ah. <laughs> duality there you
1: go I love it that's perfect that is exactly Leo Scorpio that's perfect okay well awesome I'm going to dive into my experience on this topic feel free to interject with thoughts feelings like spirit channeling you know Or you can just kick back, listen, do a face mask, whatever feels good. Either way, at the end, I'll turn things over to you with some questions. How does that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Awesome. Here we go. Fuck. Okay. First of all, I literally just learned like last week from an internet search that I did that child abuse is considered a form of betrayal trauma. Didn't know that. And I found this quote from MindWell Psychology NYC. It said, betrayal trauma is the result of the violation of a deep attachment where there has been abuse or neglect of an individual who depends on that attachment for their safety and well-being. And then it goes on to say that child abuse and partner abuse are the most common forms of betrayal trauma. So with that mind-blowing bit of info, let's start this off by talking about childhood through the lens of betrayal. My relationship with my dad was always painful and difficult from day one. I rarely experienced kindness from my dad or even interest. Like generally I felt like I wasn't wanted or liked, but a recent memory came up when I was talking to my therapist that really stood out. I was eight and I was staying at my dad's house for a couple of weeks over the summer My dad had a mean dog at the time who was only nice to my dad, but, um, you know, really didn't like anyone else, including me. And he was big. He was a big dog named Sanchez. Anyway, my dad left Sanchez in the backyard overnight. And one morning I was up and bored, which was every morning because my dad was a musician is, is a musician. And so he would sleep until like one or two in the afternoon, pretty much every day. And I spent the mornings kind of trying to figure out how to keep myself busy. So on this day, I forgot that Sanchez was in the backyard and I went out there to play and I got down off the porch and Sanchez came charging at me from the corner of the yard, like snarling uh, teeth, you know, barking, charging me. He was trying to attack me. I was too far from the back door at that point. So I thought fast and climbed a tree in a moment of complete flight terror, And I was stuck crying in that tree for about an hour before the neighbor finally came outside to see why this dog was barking nonstop. And then she went to the front door, woke up my dad, and he came outside and called the dog off. And when he did, he didn't yell at me, which was lucky, but he acted like I was being crazy. He didn't ask if I was okay. He didn't give me a hug. He just said there was nothing for me to be crying about. I was overreacting. It was no big deal. And he also made a point to say that the dog wouldn't have bitten me. So I was scared for no reason, which is like, you know, a not true. And also b not the point. (laughs) Anyway, I had never thought about that moment or any of the moments like it as betrayal per se, but I've realized that moments like this were how I originally learned to betray myself and to accept betrayals as normal because the message was your feelings don't matter. And your needs are annoying. Like I had to get, he was like, I had to get up for this. And you're just like, this is crazy. You're just being crazy. He didn't say that directly, but that was the energy. When I brought this story up to my therapist recently, she was like, dude, if a dog ever chased my child up a tree, that dog would be gone. I would find another home for it immediately. And what's crazy is I never thought of that. I never thought. Why didn't my dad just find another home for Sanchez? And I certainly didn't think of it at the time. It was like, of course, the dog is more important than I am. Of course, I'm being crazy and the dog gets unconditional love and I get made fun of for being afraid of him for attacking me. And oh, yeah, of course, my well-being doesn't really matter. So I'll put a pin in that. Mm. I could name a million experiences like that, but I want to mention this other thing with my dad that was so subtle, but so real for me growing up. My dad, like I mentioned, he wasn't affectionate with me. wasn't nice to me, generally wasn't interested in me, but he was interested in and nice to and affectionate with, well, his dogs for one thing, but also with the women he was romantic with. And because I was so insistent as a child, I'm sort of like trying to force a relationship with my dad and visiting him all the time. I was constantly witnessing that. And the thing is, I don't think my dad was trying to hurt me. I think he was acting out of his genuine desire to have sexual relationships and also his genuine desire to not really have relationships with his children. I don't think he really liked being a dad, but it resulted in this low level hum of betrayal that was always in the background of my relationship to him growing up. It was like, I'm blood. I'm your fucking daughter, but you choose these other people over me every time. And I want to name that because it wasn't the kind of outright betrayal that I'll be talking about later. But it was the kind of betrayal that I became so used to that when it was happening to me as an adult, I couldn't see it or someone's actions were basically saying, look, I just don't value you hardly at all. And I was like, cool. Sounds good. Hmm. We'll come back to the subtle stuff later, but let me talk about some just like outright betrayals so we can talk about the impact of those two. A little background for this one. When I was eight, my mom, my sister, and I left Austin, where I'd lived all my life, and we moved to LA. My dad was still in Austin, and this will be relevant in a second. On my 10th birthday, which I was so excited about because my age finally had double digits, (laughs) I invited my two best friends over to spend the night at our apartment. We were hanging out downstairs playing Nintendo because that's what was up in 1990 when I thought I heard my mom crying in her room. So I ran upstairs to check on my mom and it turned out she was laughing on the phone with with a girlfriend, she wasn't crying. So I went to the bathroom and started to walk back down the stairs. And when I got about halfway down the staircase, I heard my sister who was older talking to my friends and she was saying, what do you like about Remy anyway? Don't you think she's so annoying? Why are you even friends with her? And my friends were quietly agreeing with her saying, yes, I was annoying and they weren't sure why they were friends with me. And they didn't know what they liked about me. I could tell by the way they seemed nervous that they didn't know how to respond and they, you know, felt pressured, but also these were my two best friends. (laughs) They weren't like girls. I kind of knew and they weren't standing up for me. They weren't trying to protect me at all. So Obviously that not only shattered my trust in my two very best friends at the time, but also in my sister and, you know, sisters often don't get along as kids and my sister and I were no exception, but I had consistently looked for ways to try to fit in with her and get her to accept me and be nice to me. So this experience was a huge blow. In fact, I literally moved back to Austin to live with my dad, who I was very scared of after that incident so that I could leave LA and honestly try to find friends who loved me. And, you know, also to get away from my sister and escape this like terrible sadness that happened as a result of that experience. There was another experience I had a couple years later that also involved friends. I was 12, which you already know means middle school, which means everything is completely fucked. You know, you couldn't pay me to go back to seventh grade. Anyway, I'd been experiencing the first sprouts of my anxious attachment style, just these like little shoots breaking through the dirt after 12 years of being watered by my bummer childhood. So what that looked like was in this instance, I had told my two best friends that I'd been getting the feeling that they were ditching me at lunch because they would go off without me. And they both said that they were sorry and they weren't ditching me and they would be more aware of it. And I was like, awesome. Thank you all good. About a week later, a bunch of us were sitting at a lunch table and they were talking to each other. I was turned the other way, talking to someone else. And then I heard one of them say, you're ditching me. You're ditching me. And then the other friend started laughing hysterically. It was so painful for me. I've never forgotten about it. I grabbed my bag ran into a bathroom stall, locked myself in and just bawled. I wouldn't come out. Like 10 minutes after the bell had already rung to go back to class, they had to send a teacher's aid to try to talk me into coming out. I'll pause to say this experience, plus the experience I had with my sister, plus some other experiences, they were all leading me down a path toward this belief, which was that people enjoyed hurting me that my pain was something that either made them laugh or that like in my sister's case made them feel powerful and smug. And I would carry that into the rest of my life. The belief that people got off on hurting me. I just wanted to add that in case anyone can relate. Here's another one. When I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 16, I one day grabbed the mail and saw that there were two letters from my dad, one for me and one for my sister. So I opened mine. It was a letter fine. And I gave my sister hers and happened to be there when she opened it and hers had $50 in it. (laughs) And this made sense to me because I had tried really hard with my dad. I would always visit. I would call all the time. I would fawn all over him. But my sister, since she was young, had been like, sir, you can fuck all the way off. I want nothing to do with you. So He was trying to buy her affections, which he didn't need to try to do with me because I just gave them readily. The betrayal aspect of this experience was just a louder version of what I'd felt with him all my life, that he chose his girlfriends over me. He chose his dogs over me. And now here he was choosing my sister over me, even though I had tried so hard. And one thing I'll say in case anyone else grew up around people with narcissism is it a lot of times betrayal involves lying or sneaking or whatever, but often with people who have narcissism, a lot of times they'll do things that are insanely hurtful and not even try to hide it because it often doesn't occur to them to have empathy for your feelings. That's just not on their radar. So the betrayal can be right out there in the open, which It's sometimes really confusing and it gets more confusing because when you say something about it, you get gaslit. And that's exactly what happened in this scenario. I wrote him a really angry letter about it because I was like getting these teen rage hormones, which I'd never had before. And then found out that he never read it because his girlfriend opened it and threw it away, which was another cool betrayal because I thought she and I were close, but he knew I was mad about it and he just stopped talking to me. And I stopped talking to him. And when we finally did talk about a year later, and I told him how upset that had made me, he told me that actually I was the one who had been hurtful toward him all those summers that I'd come out to Austin to stay with him and had spent the night at my friend's house as a child, me going to sleepovers. I was invited to as a child was hurtful to him. And in the end, I apologized to him at the end of that conversation, and I got no apology back. Here's another example that is not subtle. When I was 18, my boyfriend cheated on me. He was a big part of my friend group. All my friends knew. No one told me. Absolute betrayal. I was totally blindsided, fully trusted this dude. We dated on and off since I was 15. Really felt like he loved me, trusted him, blah, blah. It, it was a very big deal, but that's not actually the story I'm about to tell. I'll tell a different cheating story in a minute. Anyway, that happened. The cheating happened during the summer. And in the fall, I went to college and was honestly a fucking wreck at school. I developed an eating disorder because I thought if I had just been thinner and prettier, he never would have cheated. I was super depressed, literally would sob between classes. I was an emotional dumpster fire. And then I came home for Christmas, like 15 pounds lighter, whatever it was. And on Christmas day, it was just me and my mom. And I was happy. I was excited. I had Christmas music on. I was wearing red. I was feeling cute. And then our apartment buzzer rang. And without asking who it was, I pushed the button and let in who I assumed was one of my friends because we did that a lot in those days. People just come by unannounced. So I sort of skip over to the door. I'm in such a good mood open the door and standing there is this fucking dude who cheated on me and he's cradling a present in his arms. So of course I'm stunned. Right. But also I'm like, okay, you fuck here. You are on Christmas day here to beg for forgiveness and grovel. But all of a sudden he says, is your mom here? And before I could respond, my mom who totally knew what had happened between us and also who had once found me sobbing in the back of a closet about him one day, like went went into a closet, closed the door and I'm sobbing. My mom finds me, okay? It's like not a chill sign, right? My mom comes bounding up behind me and is just like to him, Merry Christmas, come in. And he walks in and they fucking hug. Like I have not spoken to this guy since before this happened, right? And all of a sudden he's in my house on Christmas day and he's exchanging. My mom is like, Oh, is this for me? I have something for you. They're exchanging gifts and I'm just frozen, right? Like I had no idea that they'd even been talking. She did not mention that she'd invited him over and she certainly didn't ask how I would feel about it. I close the door. They go off into the living room together. And obviously I'm feeling deeply betrayed by my mother. Like it's just so next level. And so after trying to seem like I don't care for like five minutes, I finally go upstairs and just like ball into my pillow so no one can hear me. And I'm up there for hours. My mom, way after he leaves, my mom doesn't come up to ask how I am or see if I'm okay, nothing. Finally, I decide to go to my friend's house and drink alcohol because uh, my heart has just been mutilated under a fucking meat mallet. And on my way out the door, I stop in front of my mom who's sitting on the couch doing a crossword. And I say, mom, I just want to let you know that it really hurt my feelings that you invited him over here on Christmas and even had a present for him knowing what he did to me. And she looked up at me and she said, wow, thanks a lot for ruining Christmas, Remy. So there's a thing here, right? a theme around betrayal looking like choosing someone or something else over you. I don't think it always has to look like that, but that's a big part of my betrayal story. The underlying message is you don't matter. You're disposable. I work hard for this other person or these other people, but you can just absolutely get fucked. And that was certainly the way both my parents showed up in these scenarios. It was even sort of how I experienced the birthday fiasco with my sister and my friends. They were choosing her over me was how I experienced it. They wanted to impress her because she was older. And that was more important than I was. This is I never talked to them about it, but this was the story I had in my head. And another part of this betrayal dynamic is this thing around, you are not worth protecting. You are not worth my loyalty, right? The birthday party story, my friends were like, we're not going to stand up to your sister. We're not going to protect you. My middle school friends, they were like, we're not going to be gentle with your feelings and protect you from getting hurt. My dad was like, I could care less if this dog hurts you. And by the way, I could care less if it hurts you that I'm sending your sister $50. You can cr- go cry about it if you want. And by the way, um, my mom, You know, <laughs> my mom was like, I know this person shattered your belief in humanity but I don't know. It kind of feels like family to me. So a big part of this for me is the trust piece and the feeling that the people I love don't love me, don't protect me, don't have my back and actually want to hurt me, get off on it. And speaking of that, there's of course, romantic betrayal. So the guy from the Christmas story, After not speaking to him for five years, even though I saw him all the time because my friends were still friends with him, which was its own betrayal story. He gave me this whole spiel about how he fucked up so bad and he was so sorry and whatever. And I got back together with him because of course I did. I needed to know I mattered. And people who don't know that they matter on the inside, I think will often return to people who've treated them like shit because they think that if they can just get this person to love them again, then they'll know that they're actually worthy of love. Or in other words, when you grow up around abuse and betrayal, you learn to betray yourself. So when I was 23, I got back with this guy and not long after I fell into a deep depression because I got, I got pretty sick. And I wasn't telling anyone about it, but him. I was having suicidal ideation every day. And he was the only person who knew that, which is just to say, I really trusted him, which again, (laughs) just gives you an idea of how immersed I was in that like um, self-betrayal. So we were living in different states at the time. We weren't official, but we would decided that if either of us were gonna sleep with or date anyone else, we had to tell the other person immediately. That went on a couple years and there was one weird thing during that time that stood out to me that even at the time I was like, "Huh." So, he and I were camping having this lovely romantic weekend and this girl who incidentally he cheated on me with in high school was texting him and he was like, "Ugh, this girl, I won't use her real name. Ugh, she just refuses to get the picture. She's so obsessed with me, she texts me all the time," which is like red flag city. Who the fuck says that? Anyway, I was like, well, do you want me to text her back and just say like, hey, it's Remy, I have his phone, we're camping right now, so he'll get back to you later. Like maybe that will help her get the picture. And he was like, oh my God, would you please do that? So I did. And then later that day, I went to the bathrooms to take a shower. And as I was walking back to the campsite, I could see that he was talking very intensely on the phone and pacing and he hung up just as I got there and was like, "Ugh, that was her. She just kind of lost it on me. She's crazy, blah, blah, whatever this whole bullshit spiel. Fast forward a year, I graduate from grad school, I move back to LA and I end up because I'm broke as fuck moving into the garage apartment of my mom's house, which it turns out She's renting to him and the hot girl that he found to rent the other bedroom on Craigslist. So now I'm roommates with him and this hot girl. One night I go to my friend's house and my friend just casually mentions that not only is Duder currently sleeping with quote unquote crazy camping girl, but they've been sleeping together for quite a while now. Not just that, but I soon learn over the next month that he'd been sleeping with lots of women and was in that very moment sleeping with our roommate while incidentally also sleeping with me. I'll just throw this in for fun too. Because I'd been so depressed, he convinced me that I should let him take over my finances so I wouldn't have to stress about them. And by take over, what he actually meant was max out my credit card, not pay the bill and not tell me about it. When I found all of this out, I want to say it was like a completely out of body experience trying to reconcile the person who you called multiple times at five in the morning because your anxiety was so crazy and because you were so deeply sad and there was only one person that you wanted to talk to in that moment and experiencing that person saying such kind, loving, soothing things to you when you were at your absolute lowest and then finding out that he was deceiving you the whole time and that the mutual friends you had knew that and never said anything, the pain was just way too much. It was fracturing to my core. The, the core of my being was splintered by that experience. It was, it was like being orphaned. You know, that's kind of what it felt like. And in a way, that's how all of these betrayal experiences felt like being orphaned. It's a specific kind of abandonment that severs you from the reality you knew before, like down is up and up is down. You can't make sense of it, except that you can, you can by coming up with really fucked up beliefs that you start to fully invest in. And that is exactly what I did. So here are what some of those beliefs look like for me. One, people enjoy hurting me. They get off on it. It brings them joy. Two, I'm not worth protecting. Three, the people I love don't love me back. Four, people I'm loyal to aren't loyal to me. Five, I can't trust, period, especially men who don't see me as human. They just use me for sex. Six, I don't matter. I'm disposable. Seven, and this one is, is particularly uh, problematic. There's something wrong with me that makes it impossible for me to find the love that feels good and safe. I'm defective. And that's why this keeps happening to me. And I also just want to say, we talk about self-limiting beliefs and, and there's, I just want to say there's something so true for me in saying that they are more than beliefs, right? They only partly live in my head. In fact, for the most part, they live in my body. The thoughts, I don't matter, I'm disposable, I'm not safe, are never not once divorced from a feeling in my body that feels like heartbreak, like actual pain in my heart. And for whatever reason, we don't have language that I know of for the body's beliefs, but having the experience of the person I love um, doesn't care if they hurt me, elicits way more of a physical, emotional, bodily response than an intellectual response. So I just want to clarify that for me, the phrase self-limiting beliefs just doesn't take up enough space or something. In terms of impact, those beliefs that I mentioned before have been biggest in my betrayal journey. But betrayal has impacted me in other ways too. For example, I've never had a real boyfriend as an adult. Like I've had situations and I've dated, but I've never had a person where I was like, hi, this is my boyfriend. So, you know, obviously my ability to trust has been impacted. Another one is I've had a very hard time telling people when they've hurt me, I've either become super self-critical about my feelings and have worried that if I told people how I felt, they would just tell me I was being crazy or stupid or selfish, or I assume that they want to hurt me and I don't want to give them the satisfaction. I don't want them to win. It's a belief that I've only recently become fully aware of, but it's made it so that vulnerability becomes a contest for me where I want to win by being the person who's least vulnerable so I can keep myself safe. And then of course, instead of winning, quote unquote, I shut down and run away when I've gotten hurt and the issue never gets resolved. But maybe the biggest impact has been the way I learned to betray myself. Those more subtle betrayals that I experienced early on taught me not to trust myself. And they taught me that those feelings of being hurt and ignored and dismissed and brushed off are just part of how love works. So that's what I allowed in my relationships over and over again. So what has helped me? I do want to be transparent and say that I know I still have a lot of work to do around this. Betrayal has created some of my deepest wounds and I struggle with trust, even with people who love me. I struggle with trust. But I did have a breakthrough recently with a friend. And that's in part because I've been looking at the specific ways that I've been betrayed and learning about the defenses and knee jerk reactions I created as a result of those betrayals. So that's the first thing I want to offer is to take the time to understand the nature of your betrayal stories and to study what you came to believe because you couldn't make sense of things. Like what beliefs came up so that you could try to turn this like chaotic, baffling, insane situation into something that made sense, right? So I want to offer that but now back to my friend There had been a lot of things that she'd said and done that made me feel like I was just her backup friend that she kept around for when she couldn't be with her other real friends, the friends she loved the most. And I had been getting hurt and only sometimes bringing it up because I assumed that there was a part of her that wanted to hurt me. And I wanted to act like I didn't care so I could be the winner, so I could be safe. So basically, I'm getting really hurt and distrustful of the friendship. She didn't know. And I'm spinning this story that her actions were intentional and I'm getting mad because of that, or because, you know, I'm feeling disrespected or protect myself from what I'm actually feeling or more likely a combination of all of those. But I did something different this time. After I sat her down and got mad, I was finally able to say what, what was true for me, which was that I wanted to be as important to her as she is to me. And that was really scary for me because I love her so much and I can't control how she feels about me. I'll say two, this didn't feel good for me. I wasn't like, wow, being vulnerable feels awesome. I had no idea what I was missing. No, it can feel like shit to be so open. Like you want to throw up and get in the fetal position and punch anyone who gets near you and be like, you're dead to me. Never come near me again especially when we've been betrayed so many times. But what I noticed is that when I don't run away, when I don't make assumptions that someone is trying to, or else just going to, whether they want to or not, hurt and betray me, when I ground down in my body and say what's really on my heart, I get to see what the truth is. If I run away, I don't get to see what the truth is. The truth in this case was that my friend really loves me and feels crippling anxiety when she thinks she's hurt me. And she immediately wanted to make sure I knew how important I was to her. But there have been other times when I've been honest about how I felt and the other person was like, you're dumb, that's stupid, your feelings are stupid, or I don't have time for this, or you're an idiot, I don't feel the same way. And of course, I was devastated in those instances. But like my therapist pointed out, people having that response to my vulnerability gives me the green light to stop wasting time with a person who can't meet me. And I think when we have a long history of betrayal, it's so easy to feel terrified of getting hurt to the point that we stick around with people indefinitely sometimes who breadcrumb us because we're too scared to risk our vulnerability again and to say hey i have really big feelings here and i need to know definitively just kind of like where do you stand with this so that's the first thing and i don't say this lightly because again for those of us who've been deeply betrayed being vulnerable i know feels like walking on a tightrope over a swamp of crocodiles it is fucking terrifying and you dissociate your heart rate's going nuts you want to stay in your anger to protect yourself you can't eat all of it i get it and It's literally the only way to get what you really want, which is love, connection, and belonging with the people who can actually give that to you. But the other side of that is boundaries, right? They're two sides of the same coin. When we're abused as children or when we have relationships as adults that teach us that love looks like being pooped on all day in all these various ways, we either lose touch with the boundaries that we once had, or we literally never learn to set them. We might even learn that setting them is bad because it upsets the people we love. I have a whole episode on setting boundaries. So check that one out if you think it might be helpful. But what I'll say here is that years ago, my therapist at the time drew me a picture in one of our sessions to try to help me with boundaries. The first, it was like a series. The first was a stick figure who didn't have any boundaries. There was nothing to protect that figure from getting hurt. And so she was hurt and wounded all the time. The second was a stick figure with a box wall around her. Nothing could get in. And so she was never hurt, but she also had no one in her life who really loved or knew her. She was safe, quote unquote, but she didn't get to actually experience love. The third picture had a stick figure with a bubble around her. And there was a place where something was trying to enter the bubble and it made an indentation in the bubble, a place where it was like pressed inward toward the stick figure. And the figure inside was saying, ouch, that hurt. She got hurt because she allowed something to get close, but she said something about getting hurt. She had a conversation with the person involved and that way she got to learn what was true and what wasn't. And from there, she could make a decision that was in her best interest and how to move forward. For those of us who've been betrayed many times, we all know that some people will lie straight to your face. But a really good red flag that I get to have boundaries with is gaslighting. If someone starts telling you you're crazy, you're selfish, you're making a big deal out of nothing, blah, blah. It's a great indication that it's boundary time. And another great indication of boundary time is someone who won't ever hold themselves accountable. I personally... Am really learning this, but people who can't hold themselves accountable will betray you just by virtue of their lack of accountability, because that in itself is a betrayal. I want to say, um, I've had experiences with people who get defensive They don't take accountability right away, but when I point it out, they're able to say, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm getting defensive. And then they can tend to your vulnerabilities and what you're bringing to the table, which is what needs to happen when you've been hurt by someone. Other people, particularly people with narcissistic traits are just not able to say my actions weren't okay. And I'm so sorry for the pain I caused you. And those people aren't safe enough for my vulnerability. That's my boundary. And it's so important because had I known that years and years ago, I I could have avoided a lot of this betrayal stuff. The last thing I'll offer is something I've brought up before, and that's EMDR. It's a kind of therapy that was created to treat war vets who had PTSD, but you can use it for any kind of PTSD, including complex PTSD. And what it does is allow the logical part of your brain to access the traumatized beliefs, which are stored in the emotional part of your brain. When the logical part of your brain can get to the thoughts, it can start questioning whether or not they make sense. So for example, I did did EMDR therapy after a sexual assault a few years ago to help me with the belief men don't love women. And I was really able to shift that to Some men are capable of loving women and I can partner with one of them. It just super lifted me out of the despair and traumatized black and white thinking that I was stuck in as a result of the betrayal. So what ended up happening was like, I was able to create space for connection instead of just completely shutting the fuck down. Okay, that's what I've got. Emma, how are you doing over there?
0: Oh, you got some stories. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm over here like, what? They did what? Oh my God. And you're so insightful. I couldn't have said that better. That was like, wow, you got a really, I can tell you've done a lot of therapy. You've got some great perspectives.
1: (laughs) Thank you. That is, that's very helpful to hear because, you know, before we got on, I was telling you, this is like, And I mean, I mentioned it at the top, too. This is like a really painful thing. And there's like I'm still working through a lot of this in real time. So so thank you for saying that, because it does sometimes feel like I don't know the fuck I'm doing um, with this on this topic. Let me dive in because I'm so excited to get into this with you. And particularly because when we kind of chatted, you were like, Ooh, I'm really excited to talk about betrayal. And I was like, Ooh, I'm really excited to talk about betrayal too. (laughs) So let me, let me start with this. How does betrayal trauma differ from other types of trauma? Ooh, good question.
0: Um, so I think the thing that is especially painful about betrayal trauma is unlike an earthquake or a natural disaster, it's something that didn't have to happen. And I think that that is something that's really painful to people, to people. It's like, you know, why did this person make this choice to betray me in this way? And oftentimes, you know, whether it was a one time betrayal or a betrayal that's occurred over many years, it's, It's like the story of your life gets flipped upside down and it feels truly cataclysmic. It's like the world that you were living in was different than the world that this other person was living in and um, they knew it and you didn't and you didn't get to opt into that. Um, And it's sort of like, You have to suddenly grapple with this new reality and hold that up against the reality that you have been holding for a long time. It can really be a gut punch. It can be truly like a punch in the stomach and it's an acute trauma, really. What is, what does that mean? What does
1: acute trauma mean?
0: Oh, acute trauma. (laughs) It's not acute trauma. (laughs) It's not dressed up to go out. It's not, it's not, if only, um, acute trauma is like, it's like another word for like a fresh, severe trauma, Mm -hmm. you know? And if we're looking at acute trauma, it's like the way in which you're processing something really cataclysmic in like that first month, those like really big feelings, really big shock.
1: Yeah. Got it. You mentioned the other day when we were chatting that trauma that happens to us as adults can impact our attachment style. We were talking about the way that betrayal can impact your attachment style as an adult. So like even if you grew up and you had a secure attachment style, but then you experienced a betrayal, a deep betrayal in adulthood, that could shift you to anxious or it could shift you to avoidance can you kind of talk about the role that betrayal plays in attachment styles and what that might look like for people?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think like something that I, I think about is that like betrayal can happen to anyone. Um, I think a lot of people do feel like they bring it upon themselves or their picker is broken. And while there can be like an element of you're looking for patterns that have been replic that replicate your past experiences, like it can happen to anyone, even someone with secure attachment. And so if we're talking about attachment, there's sort of, you have different attachment cells for different relationships. So there's like your romantic attachment, there's your friendship attachment, family attachment. So say you have secure attachment and then you experience a partner cheating on you. I mean, few things have as like cataclysmic an effect on your nervous system as that other than like death or, or loss because it is sort of like a death of like the way you oriented yourself to the world and typically a romantic partner, or even if it were a best friend, you know, that person that you orbit around, we like to have a secure base. And if that person then betrays you, it can shift your attachment style. Um, So if say there's an affair, your attachment can shift to anxious because suddenly you're like, whoa, the way I viewed the world was totally wrong. And it's very confusing. And you're suddenly trying to match up. Like, I guess like people are not trustworthy. You know, there might be some of those behaviors that start to show up with your next partner. It's like, well, the last person really hurt me. So now he left his phone right there. I I might just read his texts really quick.
1: Yeah. Or even be like, why, why is he not calling? Why hasn't he come home yet? And instead of yeah. just like feeling like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure like he got caught up at work or whatever it is. It becomes this anxious story of like, he's probably cheating. He's I with- need to look through his emails. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: Oh yeah. Just like, oh yeah. Who's he with?
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Where it's like, how can I believe you? How do I know you're not going to lie to me? Right. The trick is, is I mean,
0: and it's sad because the person who was cheated on has to kind of pick up the pieces and ultimately either bring that vulnerability and ask for soothing from the partner and, and or practice that self-soothing, right? And like being like taking those breaths and grounding and like, remember, like just because that happened before doesn't mean it will happen again, you know, or whatever that self-soothing is for you but it's so hard could it because it is like that full nervous system freak out response because we
1: want that safety and security it's very human i this was i'm i'm glad we're talking about this because this was one of the things that that when we chatted the other day really kind of blew me away because you know all of the textbooks say anxious or sorry, not anxious, but like attachment style, whatever your attachment style is, it's determined as a child. And like, you can, I've read like people say like, you can heal into secure attachment as an adult, but I had never read anywhere that you could actually go backwards as an adult and kind of like, kind of fall into anxious or fall into avoidant with with some of these experiences that happen to us as adults. So I think it's so important that we talk about that and just kind of like look at what that looks like. And I, you know, I know I use anxious attachment kind of generally as um, the go-to because that's my attachment style, but I think it could happen just as easily as like in terms of becoming avoidant. Well, if you think about... You know, if
0: you're experiencing an abusive relationship, either emotional or physical, you start to learn, okay, relationships are not safe. And so that starts to activate in your system. And then there's that protective mechanism, which is, you know, there's a big part of you that wants a relationship, but the safety seeking part is like, this is not safe. This is not okay. And that can create those avoidant tendencies like, Oh, not wanting to get too close to people, keeping people at a distance. I thought in earlier you were talking about that, that boundary diagram that your therapist drew. And I thought that was beautiful. And yeah, when it's, your boundaries are too rigid, you're not letting anyone in you're safe, but are your core needs being met for connection.
1: So that can happen too. One thing that I think about that maybe is relatable for others is like, I I was like, Oh, I want friends and I want connection. I want a date, but I'm never going to tell you if you've hurt me because then I'm not safe. The way that that is like, it's, it was such a push pull for me. I was like, I can get in a relationship with you, platonic, romantic, whatever, as long as I pretend that everything's okay all the time and you can't hurt me. I there's no way to hurt me. Like that is like I of course didn't know that that was a sort of avoidant strategy. Mm-hmm. But I started to learn that later as I was like putting these pieces together. I was like, I don't think of myself as avoidant. And yet here we are. I, I find it very difficult because of all the ways that I felt like people were trying to hurt me. I found it very difficult to voice being hurt. So yeah, that way that like being avoidant can look different ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're familiar at all with Gottman work.
1: No, tell me, do tell.
0: uh, Oh, the Gottmans are a couple up in Seattle and they founded the Gottman Institute and they've done really extensive research on healthy relationships and like a hallmark for a healthy relationship is the ability to rupture and repair. A rupture being like, have a regrettable incident, an argument, a disagreement, and then be able to repair because as, as wonderful as it would be to always get along and (laughs) never, never have a disagreement or be vulnerable. Like that's, It's essential because we're just humans and we're messy and we hurt each other by accident. We have competing needs. So when we have these conflicts of competing needs, it's like, okay, how do we have a rupture and how do we have a healthy repair when we come back to it? And a mutual understanding that that's healthy and borders safety, safety rails up. So, so that we know we can be safe and have conflict
1: Mm. in a safe way. Yeah. And I think, when you grow up around betrayal trauma, that all gets really skewed. Like you don't really know what that look. You don't have a model for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beyond attachment style, how else can betrayal impact our well-being? Oh man. <laughs> well, it's a trauma,
0: so I think about like trauma symptoms, like distorted, uh, distorted sense of self-blame, like thinking it was my fault when it is absolutely not your fault. How, if someone else betrays you, let's see, like, yeah. Lowered self-esteem is I think a huge one. I think people really start to doubt their own worthiness, the thought, Oh, something must be wrong with me. When I I really see it as like, There is a pattern that the other person is playing out that they are replicating onto you, but it has nothing to do with you, but that can be a really hard thing to internalize. There may be dynamics at play in the dynamic between you, but nobody deserves to be betrayed. I think, yeah, you were talking about this earlier, that feeling of like that, loss of trust of yourself, that feeling like I'm defective. Like, you know, you want to feel like you are able to choose safely and then learning like, once again, I have not chosen safely or that feeling of my picker is broken. Those are things that I see people struggle with a lot, um, struggling to express their emotions and their needs. That is something I see people struggle with. Um, And of course, it's not just people I see. I mean, me too. I think we've all experienced betrayals. And I like to point out therapists are no different. Um, (laughs) So, and of course, it's just sad. There's grief, right? I mean, it's such a loss, such a loss of your worldview, of your happy memories with the person that betrayed you. So there's grief, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I did a grief episode months ago and actually I brought that up. I said, you know, there is, there's been deep grief for me when I have been cheated on. Um, there's, it's a whole type of grief that feels similar to a death in the sense that like something that was thriving and, and very much there yesterday is suddenly not there anymore. And yeah. I think even in, you know, I think cheating is sort of the go-to when we talk about betrayal, but there can be so many different types and like betrayal with friends, betrayal with family. And um, for me, the experience as an 18 year old and uh, the experience of my mom inviting my ex over on Christmas. Which is absolutely insane. (laughs)
0: I was listening to you and I was just going, what, how does that? (sighs) Sorry. I don't know if you have a relationship with your mom now, but that was wild.
1: It's, it was, it's one of those things where those behaviors as a kid became normalized to me. And it wasn't until, uh, much later that I started to, and It wasn't until therapy that I really started to understand the extent of the abuse, but particularly in a situation like that, well, I'll say this, particularly in a situation where you're dealing with people who have narcissistic traits, um, especially if you were a child and you were raised around that, it's very confusing because you are blamed for it you are blamed for having a feeling about it or um, for being angry about it or for it happening in the first place, right? Like that's the other thing. You caused this. So I don't know what you're upset about, right? And so I guess that's another thing is like, I do want to bring in narcissism is a very, um, it's, it's very tricky. And the betrayal that we experience. Um, when we have people who have narcissistic traits who are like sort of central in our lives, the way that it becomes normalized is really tough. And, and for me, there was a grief of, of, of realizing at some point in my life, which was not then it took me many years to realize this relationship with my mom couldn't ever really be what I thought it was because I, of this like self-delusion that I'd learned. And it, and it actually had kind of never existed in the way that I thought it did. And, and these, it's, it's very difficult. And also like, I will say it's speaking to any kind of betrayal. One thing that's really tricky about it is that people are complex, right? And no one is a villain. No one is like just straight evil. So it's like people who have, have shown you love in tremendous ways can also not be empathetic to your needs and that's the thing, the down is up and up is down piece where it's like, I just don't know what's real. That's not to say I know how to fix that. It's just to like, normalize that if people feel that way. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. And it's, and it's different from a death in exactly what you said, which is it didn't have to be this way. Like this person made a choice that they just Mm -hmm. didn't have to make. And that's different. You know, it's like they were complicit in this happening to me, which is totally it's, it's like the grief of death. But with this added piece of like, you did this. Yeah. I don't know that there's like a way to fix that, but I want to name it. I want to ask this question. That's kind of a long one. I was researching betrayal trauma the other day, and I found a couple of things that really kind of fucked me up. One was the inclusion of child abuse in betrayal trauma, which I mentioned, I'd always thought of betrayal as something that sort of exclusively happened to us as adults or like adolescents. So it really stopped me in my tracks. Then I also read that when betrayal trauma happens to us as children, and I tried to like bring this into my piece when I was talking, but what I read was when it happens to us as children, we're more likely to develop what they called betrayal blindness, where we minimize or refuse to acknowledge when we're being abused or betrayed despite all the evidence we're presented with. And that really fucked with me. It's I think a big part of my story. And I'm just curious, can you talk about that a little bit and like how we work with that? If we think we have this, this propensity to ignore all of the evidence in front of us, because that's kind of what we're used to.
0: I won't pretend that I have, tons of expertise in betrayal blindness. That's like a kind of a new term for me too, but I can speak a little bit to some of that, which is, I mean, we do know that people seek out types of relationships that feel familiar to them. And so we do tend to replicate patterns if left unchecked in the type of people that we gravitate towards. And that is because that's what our nervous system is familiar with, so it feels safe. So if as a baby or as a child, there was emotional abuse, then that state in our nervous system is what we're comfortable with. There might be a big part of us that really doesn't want that and is aware, like that's what I do not need in my life. And then there's this more under the surface subconscious part that is drawn towards it. It feels like safety. Um, As far as the piece that's like refusing to acknowledge, it's like, Hmm. Yeah. Let me think about that. How do we work with that? Therapy man. (laughs) I think it's just something you have to do on the individual level. And I think that this sucks for a lot of people because you're like, ah, I was innocent in all of this. I just, this happened to me. And it is really frustrating to have to be the one to break the cycle and be the one to go to therapy and do all that difficult work of kind of analyzing these patterns, these family patterns. And I think, yeah, it's like breaking some of these patterns when you start say, you know, if it's a friendship trauma, start a new friendship. If it's a relationship starting a new relationship, like expressing your needs, holding your boundaries, seeing if, if they then hear your needs and respond appropriately and take actions based on those needs. (laughs) I've had that come up where it's like, it's not enough to just state your needs. Great step, but you also need to listen and pay attention. Are they implementing changes based off of those needs too? That I'm
1: so glad you said that because a specific, and this kind of goes back to um, this idea of betrayal blindness. When you were raised in a place in, a, in this sort of like ongoing betrayal where your needs don't matter as a rule, And you learn, okay, I'm going to do a new behavior. I am going to ask to have my needs met. And then your needs still aren't met. (laughs) It's really easy to just make, and I think to make an excuse. And I think when I'm kind of thinking about like, why have I made excuses for people's behavior in the past? The reason I have done that is because, especially having parents who, you know, it's not. I don't think my parents like had children are like awesome. I get to betray these kids so much, and it's gonna be so cool for me. I don't think that. I think that it was like a. It was just sort of naturally what unfolded given their mental health struggles. But what ended up happening for me was these people were people I had become emotionally reliant on. Of course, I was a child, and. I, it's like anything you practice, right? If you practice the violin, you are gonna get better at the violin. If you practice making up reasons why these really not okay things are okay, so that you can keep the relationship, the goal is to keep that relationship, right? So, if you get if you get really good at that, so that you can hold on to these central relationships, right? These extremely important relationships, your parents, then by the time friends and lovers come around and you're presented with all of this evidence, it's like the anxiety is I don't want to lose everything I've invested. And I already know how like you're not thinking this consciously, but you your subconscious kicks in and is like, well, I know how to deal with this. We'll just like pretend it's not happening. <laughs> we'll just pretend that this thing that clearly means what it means um, doesn't mean that it means something else. And it's all in service to this, like, I want to keep the connection. That's the number one thing. And sadly, when we lose that connection with ourselves, we become dependent on these, on these outward connections. And like, we're like, I have to have this connection so that I can be okay. Cause I don't even really have a connection with myself. So I'll do anything. I'll jump through any hoop. I mean, that's, I think that's what I do. Mm, Yeah. Makes sense.
0: Good thoughts,
1: let me ask this is this is like always the question that I am like revolving around., how do we fix it? like in the work with your clients, what have you found to be the most effective when they are recovering from betrayal trauma?
0: Um I think it's so different for everyone. I think most people will have talked to their friends and their lane, their friends are like, fuck them. <laughs> Don't talk to them ever again, ever. <laughs> right. Um, but I do think that it's it, depending on the situation can be really beneficial to, to allow yourself grace to not be like the perfect empowered person after this happens and cut them out and never talk to them again. Like, you know, sometimes that's the right advice and sometimes it's it's not because there's more at play. Sometimes you need answers and in some relationships. Um, and Esther Perel talks about this a lot. Um, she's like one of the leading experts in the area of like affairs in couples therapy. She's really great. Um, She talks about how sometimes an affair, if we're talking about a romantic relationship, is a gift. Sometimes it's a gift to the relationship. It can be like a, a wake up call to what hasn't been working. And sometimes couples find themselves finally using this as a way to confront the issues that have been present. And I think this is a great example in the her book, uh, The State of Affairs. And I recommend it if anyone's like coping with affairs or anything like that in their life. She talks about a woman who whose marriage was so much better after the affair because they finally used it as a way to actually talk about what they were feeling when they had kind of been at sort of an out of love, stagnant place. Um, And she ended up the way she personally coped with it was she made a shrine to the woman that her husband had the affair with. So she instead replaced like those icky feelings of uh, betrayal with like intentional practice of gratitude. Like, thank you to this woman. She made my relationship so much better. So there's some you can get really creative with it. Um, in the way that you allow it to help your relationship. If you can truly healthfully move forward, there is no pressure at all to stay with someone if they hurt you. But in that particular example, it was helpful. That might be a slightly more rare example. You know, in general, um, I think like listening to your needs, listening to like what you stand for and really acting in alignment with your values and what you need is super important. Just getting clear on what those are. I think it's helpful to, you know, it's like a scab, you know, if you're going to be like engaging with that person, you, that wound kind of eventually does need to start scabbing over and healing. And if you kind of open that dialogue up with them again, it's sort of like picking at the scab. Right. So at a certain point, uh, I kind of give the one year rule, you know, try to go a year without engaging with them to kind of allow that wound to heal up a little bit. Mm. And let's see, we'll talk about the dynamics so that you have a really good sense of like, what was it about the dynamic in yourself or in them and just like getting a good understanding of why, because it's a learning opportunity. You can learn from that and take information to protect yourself in the future. And I talk about, you know, setting cry times. I say that kind of to being silly, but I'm actually serious about it in that like, you really need to hold space for your feelings. You're going to need to cry a lot. I think it's a grief Process, so giving yourself a solid two hour chunk every day for a while to cry and really allow that that feeling to pass through you because it needs to be felt. I agree with you that e m d r is an awesome, awesome tool for this. I love doing e m d r on stuff like betrayals because it's sort of like you said, it starts with this distorted sense of like self blame of like, maybe I am bad or I can't trust people or people aren't trustworthy. And you can really see people start to shift through that therapy modality in like a really permanent way, like to believing in themselves and their ability to like, I know I can make safe choices, like and that feeling of that traumatic impact is just lifted. And so I'm such a huge fan of EMDR. And eventually we'll start to kind of build a file folder of people that are exceptions to your rules. You know, it's like I heard you say like men want to hurt women. I would be like, well, let's make a file folder of men that are devoted to and worship women who are those? you know, maybe it's, maybe it's Barack Obama. No, I don't know. But like trying to find little examples that are exceptions to those rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah. And then just continuing to like, take the time that you need to feel ready, but ultimately, you know, if someone else has betrayed you, you are not broken and it's not your fault. And I would say, you know, you deserve love and you deserve to date again when you feel ready.
1: And is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to talk about regarding betrayal trauma? Something that
0: I think has been helpful, two little, two little tidbits. I think one thing that I have gotten stuck on in the past is like, but why wouldn't they just break up with me? Why did I have to go through all that? (laughs) You know, it would have been so much kinder is like, you know, thinking. I truly believe that people are doing the best that they can with the skills that they have and the life experiences that they've had. So it's like something about that person, they were not mentally well enough to do the really hard thing and be vulnerable and say, you know, this isn't working, which would have been so much kinder, (laughs) but... I, I have found a lot of peace in that. It's like, you know, they were doing the best they could. And that sort of gave me an answer that I thought personally was helpful. And the other piece that I sometimes think about with clients is, you know, obviously you went through these experiences. Now, like with your parents and they betrayed you and there was emotional abuse. And now there's this belief, like I can't trust people. Now let's imagine you in a house down the street and you have two loving parents, and they're always there for you, and you're so supported, there's, it's totally healthy dynamic, they, they are there for you, when you need them, they believe in you, do you still believe that you can't trust people, and that the world is dangerous, and usually people say mm. No. So, so it has nothing to do with you. It's all about the environment. Um, and so hopefully that's kind of a hopeful sentiment, right? It's like, you know, your past doesn't predetermine your future or make your ability to predict people's trustworthiness any more or less true.
1: Yeah. That like, cause I think what happens a lot is the self-worth nosedive that we experience after betrayal right we feel like something i did created this i'm shitty in this way and like you know the belief that i had like there's something wrong with me that makes me unable to find these um to find loving relationships in these different ways and what you're saying is look a lot of this that you experienced growing up was because of these people who were struggling with their mental health. If you'd had different parents, you know, does that, does that mean now that all of a sudden you are deserving of, of what happened just because like having different parents doesn't clear, it kind of clarifies like, no, if I have, who, who parented you doesn't make you more or less deserving of pain or betrayal. So (laughs)
0: exactly. Well said. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a good kind of reframe, right? Like, Oh, this is a different way of looking at it. It's a way of like pulling me out of this thought on repeat of like, this is my fault. This is my fault. This is my fault. Yeah. It's a, it's a good reframe. Cool. Emma, thank you so much for coming on. I just appreciate you so much. Is, is there a place where people could find you if they want to connect with you? Uh, well,
0: thank you so much for having me, Remy. If you want to find me, you could just go to my website. I don't, I'm, I'm not on therapy social media, <laughs> but um, yeah, you can check my website out. Um, and I do have a contact form on there. So it's www.emmabridgeslcsw.com.
1: Cool. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party, or you can email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, definitely hit me up. Also, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It makes a huge difference. And it honestly means so much to me. Although I will say my friend pointed out that Spotify has a glitch where you can't give a pod any more than four stars, but actually it's not just any pod. It's like my pod <laughs> it's probably a lot of pods i don't know why it's happening but anyway uh probably a mercury retrograde thing but Apple's all good also if you'd like to support the pod you can now you can give a dollar a month five dollars whatever just go to anchor.fm forward slash the patrama party and scroll down to the support button and until the next time baby enjoy the party bye